Welcome to the Quantum Corner, where we explore concepts about and seek answers from the quantum field. I'm your host, Cottonwood Stone. How are people going into the zero point field for the wave of their vision and turning it into the particle that is now their reality? Our Friday segment called Community Spotlight showcases someone who is doing this already. Have you ever wanted to free yourself from the disconnected nature of our industrial food system? To take control of your health, connect to the earth, and foster a more enriching life? You can do all this and more simply by growing your own life-nurturing food. Urban Farm provides the inspiration knowledge, and tools that promote and encourage healthy lives and environments so that you can pursue your goals and dreams of a healthier life with a community of people who care. The man behind Urban Farm is Greg Peterson of Phoenix, Arizona, and he's our Community Spotlight guest today. If he can have a thriving fruit and vegetable garden in Phoenix, in the summer, then so can you. Welcome to the Quantum Corner. I'm your host, Cottonwood Stone, and today our guest is Greg Peterson from the Urban Farm. And he's going to share with us what it's like to have trees with fruit and vegetables growing in your own yard in the city. I'm real excited about this. Now, I noticed on your website, there's a question that you've been asking yourself for years. Uh (laughs) What if there was a garden and a fruit tree in every yard? Tell us about that. Yeah. So thanks for having me, by the way. I appreciate being here. That is one of my what ifs. And I live my life every day with, uh, oh, my gosh, what if we did this? And oh my gosh, what if we did that? And my entire team has kind of circled, there's six of us, kind of circled around the, what are we going to do today? What ifs are we going to handle today? And for me, it does not make sense, any sense at all to plant something if you can't eat it or if it doesn't support edibles. So that's really the nugget of what happened for me maybe 30 years ago when I started looking at my landscape differently. So I study something called permaculture and I like to call permaculture, the art and science of working with nature. So how do we work in the flow of nature rather than against nature? And a lot of commercial agriculture works against nature. In my yard, what I have going on is something called a food forest. It works just like, well, mostly like the forest. You know, in the forest, leaves fall, branches fall, birds come along and leave a deposit behind. You know, there's bugs and weeds and stuff down in the, in the soil level that are, you know, doing their work. And over time, what happens is you get this amazing, incredible soil. And, oh, by the way, there's not long rows of any one thing in nature. There's a beet here or parsley here or nasturtiums here. And so that's what's going on in my yard. And that's what I teach people how to do. And it is actually really simple. 
to set up your yard. It's a process, but it's simple to set up your yard to be more forest-like. So when you walk into my front yard, it looks like a normal front yard with some garden beds. And what I've done over the years is I planted what are called open pollinated seeds. So my beets are open pollinated, which means they're when they go to seed, they make a seed that pretty much makes a duplicate of the beet that I planted in the first place. So they go to seed and I have lettuce and nasturtiums and basil and oregano and cowpeas and beans and kale and garlic and onions. These are all things that I don't plant on a year to year basis. They're planted, you know, years ago. I let them go to seed and they just come back year after year, just like they would in a forest. So my vision is really to get people thinking about how can you make your yard more like a forest? And oh, by the way, at the same time, grow food. There must have been a seed of an idea at a certain time, something that happened in your life that that sparked this idea. And did you start it at where you live now or have you have you migrated it to from one place to another or? Yeah, more number two, migrated it from one place to another. Okay. I've known since a very early age. In fact, in 1974, I was about 14 years old. I wrote a paper for my biology class. I still have it somewhere. It's handwritten in pencil Mm -hmm. on how we were overfishing the oceans. So I knew in the early 80s or the early 70s, I knew in the early 70s that we were living on this planet in, in a way that was going to be taxing the planet long term. And in 1981, I designed on paper a fish farm that would only make things that, that could be used or sold. And that came from an experience that I had. I went to a fish farm in 1981 and took a tour of it, saw how they were raising their fish and harvesting their fish. And I was kind of blown away at how, uh, how in negatively impactful, I want to use the right words, the what they were doing was. So when you raise a fish for food, You clean it, what you get is about 30% meat and about 70% everything that was left over. You know, the the bones and the skin and all that kind of stuff. Right. And what they were doing on this particular fish farm is they were throwing all of that stuff away. In this case, it was going to the wild animals and causing a wild animal explosion in in that part of Arizona, right? Which for me, looking at this thing from a system perspective, made no sense to me. So what I did on ni- in 1981 is I wrote down on paper how we could make, and it would be what I would call today a regenerative farm, mm-hmm. a farm where everything that is raised on the farm gets used or it's a, an available product. And then fast forward to 1991, I did my first permaculture design course. So I started learning permaculture over 30 years ago. And I had this thing happen. It was kind of magical. There was a lot that happened for me in 1991. But a friend of mine went on a sailing trip 
in the South Pacific. And they, they anchored in an island and they went looking for a grocery store. And the people that were living on the island kind of looked at, looked at them funny. Yeah. And they said, uh, go pick your own. <laughs> Such a foreign concept. Right. Yeah. So, you know, up, up to that point, I was 30 years old in 1991. And up to that point, I'd been exploring food and looking to see how I could grow food in my yard. And that hit me like a tidal wave. That was a life-changing moment when I realized, oh, our food system, the way that we raise food on this planet is inherently broken. We have and a, a magical food system on this planet. The industrial food system is magical in the way that it raise and raises and distributes food. The problem with it is, is that it's very fragile. And we've seen that fragility over the course of the past year with COVID. Oh, sure. And I've, been, I've been preaching for over a decade that we have a three-day supply of food in any urban area. And I say that we have a three hour supply because once people get a whiff it's true. that there's going to be shortages, they, you know, the, they hoard the stores. The exactly. Yeah, exactly. And we saw that a year ago with COVID. We saw that uh, last month in Texas with the grocery stores. We have to build a local resilient regenerative food system in our neighborhoods and in our, you know, in our communities, we have to do that. We cannot rely long-term on the industrial food system. Now it's magical and there are good parts, good parts to it. Mm -hmm. And it's very fragile and we have to take note of that. Uh, you're familiar with the Windstar Foundation, which. Oh my gosh. Yes. Sadly isn't anymore. And for those of mm -hmm. you who aren't familiar with it, it's a thousand acres of land conservancy that John Denver bought in perpetuity mm -hmm. and turned it into a land conservancy. And they built a geodesic dome. I was, yeah, I visited there. I did. I visited there. I actually went and visited there maybe 20 years ago. Yeah. I, and I was there, but after John had passed and they weren't active mm -hmm. there anymore. And their whole idea was to show uh, in this geodesic dome that a community could sustain itself mm. on the ground in mm -hmm. a small space when it's done right. Yeah, and that was all. That was always very inspiring to me. And so when I heard you doing this, of course, I've I've known you've been doing this for a while now. It's like Greg's doing it. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, it, it's it, most, most days it's a gift and it's one of those gifts that I can't ever get away from. Oh, you yeah. know, it is, it is. So in the middle of my life, so from 1975 to 1984, I used to clean service and build fish ponds here in Phoenix. That was my first business, first real business that I had. And one of the things I was building was fish ponds for people to grow food in. I was actually setting up, converting swimming pools, fish ponds for people to, to grow food in. And uh, in 1984, I got distracted by technology and set up and ran a couple of technology companies and did that 
as my profession for about 20 years, but I never got away from growing my own food. In 1989, I bought the house where I live now, uh, you know, over 30 years ago and turned it into what it is now, which is the edible landscape that it is. In most of the country, there's a lot of rain. Yeah. They have an average of nine inches of rain per year or there. Seven and a half. Oh, it's gone down. Yeah. Um, Seven. And we only got, and we only got four inches last year. Oh my gosh, boy, that has changed. Yeah. And how the heck do you grow stuff? What do you do to bring the water in to sustain the food so you can have well, you know, I guess there's ways to do it. There must be. Yeah. So I live in a unique property. Uh, this is an old piece of farmland that I live on right in the middle of Phoenix. And it comes with water rights. I have water rights for my property. And there's over 30,000 acres of this kind of land in the Phoenix metropolitan area. It's called flood irrigation. So about 22 times a year, I get six inches of water in my yard. That does a really nice job of helping me grow fruit trees. Oh, when they do that, that irrigation, I've seen that out in Queen Creek. It's, mm-hmm. it's just fascinating. It's a way of, of irrigating in Phoenix that I've never seen anywhere else. Right. Most people use it for growing grass. So I'm part of my crusade is to get people who are, have flood irrigation to growing fruit trees and growing groceries in your yard. Yeah. And then, you know, there's the other part is, is rainwater. We do get some. We harvest rainwater and direct it in the landscape where it'll do our do its best work. It is legal in the state of Arizona to use gray water. Gray water is any water that goes down any drain of your house, except your toilet and your kitchen sink. So I have systems put in place here at the Urban Farm to get that water out of the house and into the landscape. Mm-hmm. And then there's city water. And, and then there's you know, city water. And then there's city water. So we actually have three and gray water is a function of city water because it's second use water. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I have four different ways. Well, actually there's uh, condensation coming off of the air conditioning unit is a fifth way that we can use water. I teach all about this in my, in my water harvesting summit that we're doing and we do once a year. So uh, yeah. And, you know, that's interesting that you talked about what about that, because I know you have classes where you teach people. And so that would be fun to hear a little bit about how cool. how I, mean, I would guess that would be a big part of what you do. It, it is. And especially with COVID now, uh, we've transitioned everything online. And it's been it's been a bit of a gift. Uh, we did a uh, we do weekly online educational events and this last saturday we did what we call seed up saturday it was three hours of education on how to store start and save seeds and you know all about seeds and like that and each month we do a a seed saving chat that's about an hour we do a fruit tree chat and we do a gardening chat. Those are all free events that we offer. And then 
through our website, urbanfarm.org, we offer all kinds of paid courses uh, and summits. So we do courses and summits. And, uh, you know, mostly they're around food, mm-hmm. permaculture, sustainability. And let me just touch on that real quick. I don't like the word sustainability. It's not a bad thing, sustainability, but it's just a stepping stone from not doing anything Mm -hmm. to what we really need to be doing, which is putting regenerative design systems in place. And I cover that in my Jumpstart Your Urban Farm course that I give on what does regenerative mean and how do you do it? And that's what you were talking about with the seeds earlier. Is that a piece of that? That's a piece of it, right? Exactly. Because I have, I've, when we look at regenerative systems, systems that regenerate themselves, 100% of them live inside of nature. Mm -hmm. And inside the human condition, there are zero regenerative systems. Every single human system, and I've been looking for 30 years. Okay. Every single human system that has been put in place on this planet is inherently degenerative. Over time, it takes money, energy, time to refresh it. This chair that I'm sitting at, Mm -hmm. the computer that we're talking on, they're all designed to break down over time. That's true. Right? Yeah. All of this stuff around me in my office all of it that is human created will break down over time and it takes money and time and energy to keep it up. Otherwise it gets thrown away. So that's what we call a linear degenerative system. Okay. Regenerative systems recreate themselves. So a seed is a regenerative system. You plant carrot seeds in your yard, the carrots go to, you know, you get some carrots, you let some of them go to seed. They, when they go to seed in my yard, I grab the seed pods, crunch them up in my hand and toss them all over the place so that in my lawn, yeah, I get carrots. Yeah. And then they do the same thing over and over and over again. That is regenerative. Sustainability, this whole notion of sustainability was a good idea. We have to move past it. And the reason it was a good idea is because it woke people up, mm-hmm. but it simply sustains the mess that we've created on this planet. It doesn't get us past it moving into a regenerative economy. And that's what, that's what I preach about. Can you tell? That's what I that's, preach about all the time. That's very interesting. I had never thought about the word. And I just wrote a song for Earth Day, which I'm doing an Earth Day event. Nice. Uh, it, and the words, I use the word sustainability. And, and, and just what you said, I grasp it. If something sustains, it just keeps going as is. That's right. Uh, I'm exactly. Have some of the words in that song. <laughs> and are you happy for our future generations just to sustain what we're doing? No, no, Heck no, no. no we got to do something else. We have to do something else. That's in another one of my songs, actually, talking about the seven generations. Oh yeah, there um, you go. There's another aspect of this whole thing of doing doing the things that we love and are passionate about. And I'm curious from your point of view, 
the whole idea of creating and manifesting and, and, Mm. you know, I know, I know manifesting is an overused word these days. I'm not sure Mm -hmm. what else to use in its place because the, the, some people have the gift of talking about it and knowing it, just knowing it in their soul and poof, there Mm -hmm. it is. And I'm guessing knowing you for a couple of years that. (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) We've known each other a lot longer than a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's been back at. I remember being over at Creative Living Fellowship for the first anniversary of 9-11. Oh, my gosh. Well, there you go. So we've known each other since then, since before 9-11. Yeah. So yeah. How, how does that come into play? So I want to read you something real quick. Okay. This is something that was really impactful for me. This is a quote by W.H. Murray. It's the Scottish Himalayan expedition quote. Okay. Let me see if I can. um, Here's the impactful piece. It's much more than this, but here's the impactful piece that gets us to speaking things into reality because it happens a lot in my life. I have gotten very good at focusing and saying, you know what? I want this to happen. That goes back to our first conversation. The what if, you know, what if we did this? It goes like this. Until one is committed, there is hesitancy. The chance to draw back, always ineffectiveness. Concerning all acts of initiative or creation, there is one element of truth. And I'm getting chills all the way down my body right now as I read this. That the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves to and all sorts of things occur to help one that would otherwise not have occurred. Mm-hmm. So if you can get so clear, and I, uh, I've worked with this a lot in, the, in my life in creating what there is for me to be doing on the planet and then creating what's possible because What's possible is what you can imagine. If you're, if you can imagine it, it's possible. Mm-hmm. Now I know there's some things that are way out there, like time travel that we haven't gotten there yet. Yet. But I, right. But I think one day some that'll happen. Mm-hmm. The what ifs that I do aren't out that far. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, what if there was a fruit tree in every yard? Well, why not? I know. Why not? That's an easy one. You know, wouldn't you and all of those people out there listening out there, wouldn't you love to have a fresh peach tree in a fresh a peach tree in your yard that had fresh peaches on it once a year? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. A, a friend of mine who lives in North Phoenix had mm-hmm. a grapefruit tree and mm-hmm. had just casual passing conversation goes, oh, I just don't like grapefruits. And I hear they're really good. I'm like, wait, you have a grapefruit tree in your backyard? The best hands down grapefruit I have ever had came from that tree. And he gave me, it's so fun. He gave me so many, I couldn't eat them. So I juiced them and juice instead. Oh my gosh. It was, it was like a piece of heaven. Right. And here's the other thing about this. And this goes back to the regenerative conversation that we were having in permaculture. And I believe that there is one place on the planet that lack lives, you know, not enough. Yes. It's between our ears. Yeah. 
Because when I look, the grapefruit tree you just talked about, Mm -hmm. when I look at the amazing amount of abundance that comes out of my yard in the form of food, literally thousands of pounds of food every year that I just harvest, I give it away. It's that we eat, we eat out of our yard every single day. We do. And so all of these things that we, you know, this lack consciousness that's just between our head, all of these things led me over the course of the last 25 years to get to a place where I can say something. Now, unfortunately, I haven't been able to say I'm going to win the lottery and won the lottery yeah. yet. But um, <laughs> things like, what if we want four times a year, what if we did a three hour event teaching people how to save seeds Yeah, that I threw that out to my team. Now that's a logistical thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's, that's not so magic. You know, that's just go out and get it done, but I'm in a place now and I have a team in place that if we say, you know what, we're going to once every three months, we're going to do a seed, we'll call them seed up Saturday. Yeah. And the last one we launched in um, about three weeks. The first one and the pre- the one we just finished, it took us three weeks to get it set up. We had 2,200 people register for it. Oh, oh yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So the, the big piece is to trust that you can do it. And that comes with doing it. You just have to commit yourself to something and go do it. And then as the Scottish Himalayan quote says, um, Providence moves too Mm -hmm. and helps you get it done. My team laughs at me and and has called our ability to speak things into reality, the bacon gods, the gods that show up, small g, the gods that show up and save our bacon or help us create stuff. Right. So. And, and what I found for myself is, is a, there's something that happens internally when I like I, I could say I want to do this and I want to do that. But there's like I want to do this and there's a different energy inside. And as soon mm-hmm. as I commit to it, there is so much information coming yeah. from so many sources I would have never guessed. Well, yeah. I mean, I do now. I know it's going to happen now because that's how I live my life. Right. And, and our words, what we have to be careful of and be take note of is our words have power. They have, they absolutely have power. And wanting to do something. Right. Is different than said saying, what if we went and did this? Mm-hmm. And the universe, I say the universe knows that if I say, what if. Yeah. It's already starting to create alignment for it's me. Already bringing the pieces in. Absolutely. There's one more piece that's really, really important. You remember Michelle Whittington? Yes. It was the uh, minister at the Science of Mind Church that you and I went to for years. Yes. And I remember having a conversation with her um, about 15 years ago. And there was two pieces to the conversation. Piece number one is manifesting things or creating things in your life isn't just about thinking about them. No. You have to feel it. it the, the feeling has to be there. Yeah. And so that, that was one piece of the conversation. 
The other piece of the conversation was about this, you know, the monkey mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I used to have this voice right up here. Yeah. Up, you know, above me to the right and back of me that says, Greg, who are you to think that you can be going out and changing the world? Exactly. Right. Right. And literally. This happened in 2004, 2005. I was listening to it one day and I turned around. I looked up to the right. So I actually physically looked up to the right and I started talking to that voice. I said, who are you? to tell me I can't do this. This is much more important than anything you have to say. Mm-hmm. So shut up. That was the, literally that was the, I, I used a few more expletives, but yeah. that was the conversation I had with this voice. And I had something interesting happen that brought it all home for me. I'm going to say about five years ago in 2004, I started doing the half, the P.F. Chang's, it's not P.F. Chang's anymore, the Arizona Rock and Roll Half Marathon. Yes. I'm what they call a legacy runner because I've done them all. So we're, we're going into our 17th or 18th time this next year that I've, I've done them. I've done every single one of them. And I have Lyme disease and I was feeling really down Mm -hmm. one year, about four years ago. And I verbalized to my partner, Heidi, I said, I don't think that I'm going to run the half marathon this year. I just don't have the energy. And you know what I heard? What? I heard this roar from the voice that said, get your bleep out there and start training. You will absolutely do it. So I have trained that voice to work with you. To work with me. That was an absolute amazing moment for me in my life when I'm getting chills again. I know, I just got chills. Right? Yeah. That, wow, we have that kind of power. And it, it really started for me trusting that what I'm doing in the world is important. And I tell everybody out there listening to this podcast, there is something that you do, that you do, that is your thing that can change the world if you say so. Can I use a little bit of an expletive? Sure. Shit happens in the world because somebody says so. Yeah. And it can be bad shit. Mm -hmm. Or it can be this great fertilizer. (laughs) but it's up to you. It is up to you to say, you know what? I'm going to do this no matter what. This is the way it is. Man. Oh man. That's just like, that was a fun game changer for me. Yeah. Voice. Oh, it was huge for me. That That was me preaching by the way. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I enjoyed that. (laughs) Now, one thing, before we close out that I just got to share this because one of my favorite things, not from a fruit tree, but from my mom's garden, Uh my mom. Now she's, when I was younger, we would have all kinds of vegetables and the most fun would be the first ones that came up in the spring were always the carrots and the radishes. Mm-hmm. So I have great fondness for carrots and radishes and nice. them out and having the dirt on them and cleaning it. And yep. 
eating them right there. Right there. Yeah. But the best were her tomatoes and mm. are her tomatoes. Man, those tomatoes. Oh, and she cans. Yeah. Them. Well, and here's the thing about that. If you grow your own, mm. it's not going to be like anything that you get in the grocery store. Oh, is this about it? Uh-uh. It doesn't Forget about it. You, you know, once you grow your own peach, once you grow your own tomato, once you grow your own, you, you name it, you can't go back. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you know, another thing I want to share it, this, this has been a couple of years ago now. It was probably last time our paths cross, which was at a concert. I think it was seeing Walt Richardson play at a place there in Phoenix, maybe. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Last time I saw Walt Richardson was at Desert Song Yoga. Was it there? Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's what it was. And and after just having a short conversation and hellos and that kind of thing, I came across one of your videos. And this is such a simple thing to you, I know, but I was fascinated. How to grow potatoes in a pail. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Who'd have guessed it's that simple? Yeah. It's this, this. So there's this, like, so much we can do. I live in an apartment, so I can't have a yard with stuff. Uh, but my mom does. There you go. <laughs> has a big yard, and she there has a garden every year. Well, and you can always, here's what, here's the simplest thing to do. Grow herbs. You can grow them in a sunny windowsill. They're the most expensive thing to buy in the grocery store and the simplest thing to grow. Oh, no kidding. I've not tried that yet. Yeah. Fresh basil, fresh cilantro is fresh thyme, oregano, all can be grown in pots in a sunny windowsill. And, you know, they're amazing. I can do that. Yeah, right. I can do that. That can be my starting point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When I can move out of the apartment, get my own place and have a yard and start. There you go. Classes so I can learn how to do it right. <laughs> right. There you go. Absolutely. As we bring this to a close, where can people find you? Where can they take your classes? Uh, urbanfarm.org. Okay. Is our, um, is our website. I've had it for almost two decades now. And so there's lots of content. We have a blog that goes back 15 years. We have our podcast that goes back 600 episodes. Mm -hmm. We've had over two and a half million people listen to our podcast over the past five years and urbanfarm.org. Just as a, uh, if you go to Healthy Soil Hacked, let me just throw this out there. Okay. If you go to healthysoilhacked.com, there's a series of videos on growing healthy soil. And the biggest thing people do wrong in yeah. growing food yeah. is not growing healthy soil. And so at, health, at healthysoilhack.com, we, I give you several videos on how to be successful growing healthy soil because the healthier the soil is, the healthier the food is. Well, that does make sense. Right? It does. Yeah. So urbanfarm.org is our main website. And then healthysoilhacked.com is a uh, place you can go to learn how to grow healthy soil. Very good. Well, thank you so much. It's been such a treat. Good to see you again. Right back at you. Thanks for having me. You bet. Oh, yeah. I can, I can talk for days about this stuff. 
I imagine. I imagine. Thank you again, Greg. Urbanfarm.org. All the good content will be there waiting for you. All right. Thank you so much, Greg. You bet. For details about the urban farm, be sure to check the show notes. On Sundays, catch our storytelling with Rain Tree as she shares true, unusual, and or unexplainable stories that fall under the quantum umbrella. And on Wednesdays, Mike Snovak and I share tips for your quantum journey. Thank you so much for being here today. And until next time, savor the joy of each moment. Thank you.